0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Radio Imbibe from Imbibe Magazine. I'm Paul Clark, Imbibe's editor-in-chief, and last summer at the annual Tales of the Cocktail conference in New Orleans, I sat in on an educational seminar that really was one of the more compelling sessions I've seen at Tales in recent years. The session covered indigenous representation in hospitality, and explored some of the topics and introduced some of the people who have long been overlooked when talking about the cocktail scene. We spoke with the moderator for that session, Chalky Tom, a few episodes back. Go back and give that one a listen if you haven't already. And more recently, we included one of the panelists on that session, Julio Gutierrez, is one of this year's Imbibe 75 people to watch. Julio goes by Jules, and he's based in Long Beach, California, where he organizes the ongoing bar pop-up series he calls Chuntikis. Through Chuntikis, he takes familiar aspects from the world of tropical drinks and modifies them and uses them to tell the stories of indigenous and Latino peoples. For this episode, I'm chatting with Jules about what led him to create Chuntikis and the way he goes about putting together these events. Julio, welcome to Radio Imbibe.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Paul.
0: Uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you and have you in the magazine and on the podcast uh, because this past summer at Tales of the Cocktail, I, I saw you as part of a seminar that was talking about the role of indigenous identity and intent in the cocktail world. And you were participating as one of the founders and organizers of Chuntiki and the events that you put on in Southern California. For those who haven't come across you and what you're doing yet, what is this pop-up event and what, and what is your aim here?
1: The idea of Chuntikis is really born out of... What I thought was a necessity of lack of just brown representation, particularly in the tiki world, but also to kind of empower slur word, which is chunti, which was used as a classism word between just richer Hispanics who put down lower Hispanics. I guess our interpretation would be like ghetto. Uh, but for me, it was a turning point when I heard someone of Anglo descent use that word and I'm like, hey, that doesn't fit, you know, doesn't fit your culture. Why are you using that against me? And I just thought the joke, it was almost like a pun waiting to happen just to add the K-I-S to it to make it to make Chuntikis. And I'm like, hey, this would be a pretty fun idea. Let, why don't I start like messing up the classic drinks into more Hispanic-based and then from Hispanic-based, just immigrant-based drinks with Chuntikis. So the idea has really been kind of that, like being able to share immigrant stories, uh, mostly all of Hispanic and Mexican descent because that's what I am. Um, but also of other cultures that have been impactful to uh, the development of literally Hispanics and just the world that we live in.
0: And what kind of need or opportunity did you see for that kind of thing?
1: I remember going up to my parents. This was uh, just shy of like the pandemic happening and asking them if they wanted to go grab lunch at a local tiki bar that had just opened. They had a really good food program and they didn't quite grasp the concept So when I was talking to them about like tropical drinks, my mom's response was like, oh, you mean like a pina colada? And I was like, yes, but not necessarily that. And then literally that's when I realized like, all right, this is a completely not only generational gap thing, but also a cultural gap where I could go and enjoy these things. Because obviously I know a lot about these things due to my age group, but people older than me that technically all these products and fruits and flavors are coming from and being used at these tiki bars they're not being even marketed to them so my idea is like how do i make it so it's approachable to that clientele culture just that generational i guess gap in, in my end make it approachable to them and so that's kind of been the running thing so if you follow the instagram page tune you'll notice that all of my posts are always in spanish first and then in english last because it's it always seems that it's always been marketed to the English speaking crowd first, and then maybe you could hit the translate button at the bottom. If you have your Instagram set to Spanish. So why can't I do that the other way? Like they've essentially, how can I make it approachable to that culture that's never been approached?
0: And, you know, you mentioned early on that this has been an overlooked kind of community, but it's important to, to note that like for tiki and tropical drinks, we think of places like Hawaii or Polynesia with these, but these are really based in Southern California, this entire kind of drinks culture is based in Southern California and these people have been a a part of the story ever since the beginning, just not in the prime narrative. And are you trying to correct that in some way or or try to, like, tell the, the fuller story?
1: Exactly. So like you said, yeah, this the whole Tiki scene, really, a lot of people think it started like in Hawaii, Polynesia, started here in Hollywood by Don Beach. He was a set designer and a bootlegger, so he started the scene and it got bigger up in the Bay Area in Oakland due to Trader Vic. Both expanded that whole idea of escapism, but literally the whole escapism was off the backs of probably immigrants that were working those fields up in the Bay Area. Probably a lot of the back of house people out here in Hollywood working these restaurants where probably Don Beach was going to. I mean, we know famously now the five boys at the Filipinos that Don Beach was using. Um, my approach to kind of correct that, like, I've had reps that kinda of pop in when I'm doing some of these uh, bar setups and they're like, Hey, I'm so and so pushing the South American rum. You wanna get your bar team together? And instead of doing that, I'll literally get the samples and walk them straight to the back of the kitchen. Like, don't don't tell these bartenders about it. Let's take it to the people that actually came from South America. Let's go talk to the kitchen staff first. Even though they have nothing to do with the bar program, so sometimes some people get bugged out about it. But the, <laughs> but the reps kind of like They're like, hey, no one's really done that. And I was like, well, yeah, because you're completely overseeing this culture, this clientele. Like Maybe when they get off of work, instead of going straight home, they might want to enjoy this. So that's always been my approach. Let me approach the people that no one's really trying to approach to begin with. So even though it's a slow correction and... I guess, uh, move towards that. I think I'm doing somewhat of an okay job because I've now noticed, been noticing more and more Brown faces showing up to these pop-ups, which is great. Uh, I feel that they should feel this is a safe space for them to come and hang out. The, the menus are mostly always in Spanish. Um, if they want to, you know, talk in Spanish, it's more than welcome. The music that I'm playing is never your exotic, tiki surf rock music. It's usually different types of Latin American or Afro-Cuban music, so it's something that's more daily lives or something they might have grown up with that you just forgot about.
0: And when did you start doing these? And, and how many pop-ups roughly have you done uh, over that time?:
1: I started this right around the pandemic. So a little backstory on how this started was that I was I'm a brewer by trade, so I've been working in the brewing industry for a while. And I found an opportunity to open up a brewery. So the idea with the brewery was to kind of do the same thing as I'm doing now, but more, I guess, obviously, it's a little bit harder since you're stuck with uh, using X, Y, and Z ingredients to produce beer. The idea was to produce immigrant-inspired beers and tell the story of immigrant stories through the beer, like, hey, we harvested this wheat out in Coachella Valley. These are the workers that worked on it. Uh, pandemic happened a lot of people's world kind of got sideways I still had the creative need in me to create something and do something for these people and they're like all right well now I can't do my project we were pretty close to opening I still had all these ideas how can I at least help people so it all kind of started as a joke and a bootleg project honestly the Uh, when I started making these drinks and talking to people, a lot of my friends like, man, this is funny. Like no one's, no one's going to get the joke of chuntikis." And so once I realized, all right, I I got to stop giving away these drinks. How do I at least cover my costs and how do I not get in trouble for selling alcohol out of, you know, the side of my house? The idea was to do everything by donation. And once we covered costs, everything was going to a certain charity. So that way I'm not selling alcohol literally just donating to whatever it was. So like, all right, now it's shift focus where, hey, so-and-so, the backhouse house workers need help. They aren't able to collect any type of stimulus package or stimulus checks because they're probably working here illegally. How do I help these people? So it kind of tur- st- started as that and it's that's been really the whole thing. Like there's always been a way to give back once we've covered cost. And so, yeah, I would say it started possibly June of 2020. Um, As a a full-on takeaway service, so we would be doing at least two to three pop-ups a month as takeaway. And come around 2021, like May 2021, things started slowly curving off and seeing a lot better for the industry. You could see a lot of bars starting to open up. Um, We decided to do our first pop-up as in May of last year, like in-person pop-ups. And ever since then, I want to say it's been a steady at least two to three pop-ups a month. For the last what now probably year and a half, yeah, because a lot of them have been uh, just you know something that would spur uh, the, of the moment. Like I've had a friend uh, at an East LA that runs uh, a barbecue pop up. A's barbecue, really good stuff, mind you. He does it out of his front yard, and he I remember he approached me. He was uh, he's like, hey, I really love your concept. I really want you to bring it to the hood because that's what I do. That's what he does essentially with his what he calls East LA barbecue but I don't have a space. I literally have a front yard. He's like, I know this might be below you, but would you be interested? And they're like, yeah, I'll totally do it in your front yard. Like we won't, like I won't charge for drinks. Whatever we raise, we'll donate back to uh, whatever charity you choose and let's do it. Uh, so that's always been fun because now like, all right, I found a way to at least do something, give back to the community. And now that kind of like, now now I have followers in that area, like, all right, now we could find a bar that we could do it like a bigger event, a bigger ensemble.
0: One of the things I really like about what you're doing is that, you know, you're telling the story with a drink, and it's not just by giving the drink a name that gives you, you know, then kind of an opening for a conversation, but you're thinking of all the aspects of the drink. It could be the way the drink is served. It can be the ingredients in the drink, and the the ingredients are chosen to to kind of help support that story or to tell that story. What what are some of the, you know, the recurring drinks that you come to, and and what are the stories related to them?
1: Um, One that I... Been doing that, I haven't really posted up yet has been a poncha frutero. So, I do a lot of series of drinks that I'll call poncha something or something, then punch just because I think anything could basically be a punch. And if I notice it's more on the juicier side, I'll call it a punch. But uh, the poncha frutero literally has been something that the idea was to talk about, at least here in Southern California, like all year round, you'll notice these bright colored rainbow umbrellas in every other corner near a lot of busy intersections, and you just have people selling fruit, like fresh cut fruit out of a bag for you. No other place in the country that I know of really offers that because we have such a great, just I guess, weather and atmosphere right here, or at least using a good good cultivating season all year round, that we always have fresh fruit, that we kind of take it uh, for granted, that we have that as an access. So the idea with that drink is literally just to use whatever fruit I could get off that frutero for that weekend, make a syrup out of it and build a base drink out of it. And it's ever changing because obviously maybe in the fall, I may not have mangoes, but in the spring I will, or vice versa. Like it would always be changing. That's always been a fun one that I've done. And like how you were talking about how I've told stories using drinks. I mean, yeah, every drink literally goes into a lot of in-depth research more than necessary. I think I go into these really crazy rabbit holes. There's this uh, infamous... Mexican singer called Juan Gabriel. He was kind of like a, a gay icon that never came out, um, had a, one of the most lifespan, like just long careers from the 70s until probably the early 2000s, till he passed away. And his music almost like has jumped generations, right? So a lot of people to this day even still recognize him just because of a lot of these songs. And so a year a year ago for Pride Month, I was like, all right, how do I do Some pride drinks, but still being respectful and talk about the story of this guy that a lot of people only know him as like this flashy guy, almost like the Hispanic Liberace, if you will. Uh, And so I went into a rabbit hole learning about his life and he had like three different stages of his life that people didn't really know about. Uh, One of his earlier stages, he wasn't even called Juan Gabriel. Like he had his actual Christian name that he went with and he came out of Juarez playing only dive bars. So like, all right, how do I build a whole drink based on this early stage of this drink? Did research on Juarez, some of this local bars. Juarez is one of the largest orchards in all of Mexico. Let me use apple-flavored stuff. Let me use Applejack. Let me use... He's probably going to dive bars. They're probably drinking what they would call... I Like, you know, like a different type of tequila. They were using either overproof tequila, añejo tequila. And I was, I remember just looking up even menus of some of those bars that he was playing at like all right let me work on essentially a añejo tequila apple drink to kind of talk about this stage of his life second stage of his life he couldn't make it big in mexico and somehow some record producer decided he wanted to make him big in japan so we recorded in he recorded two singles in japanese and even if you don't understand japanese which i don't you could distinctly tell it's him singing. I mean, he learned the music. Like, all right, what's, what time did he go? When did he go to Japan? What are the years? Right. What are the drinks that are like hitting Japan around that time? How do I still make it Hispanic to his roots, but still like a nod to Japan? So I literally built like a, uh, a, a gin sake highball because Japanese love highballs. And using some of the flavors of, by the, of, of the time when he was in there. So I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Now build a whole drink based off literally the time period that he would have been in Japan and some of the flavors from both Japan and Mexico. Then this third stage when he finally like was more like into accepting himself as a like a flashy singer even though he wasn't coming out. His whole thing was like whenever people would ask him, hey so are you gay, are you homosexual, what's going on? His response was always like, does it matter? Like love is love. If I'm making good music, ask me about my music. Don't ask me about my person. Don't ask me about my being. So I'll build a whole drink based on literally that whole him kind of creating that whole term love is love before it even became a thing in the last couple of years using like exotic fruits and like stuff that he would probably like translate into some of his garb for like stage shows and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it, a lot of these drinks do go into weird layers of just learning about person's personalities, a lot of interviews. That was just one that I really enjoyed because I really got to learn more about this figure uh, more than my parents probably even knew about this figure. That little nugget that I recorded in Japanese, and I've been looking for that uh, single forever. I, like, it's it's been amazing. You can find it on YouTube, but you can't find it on a record yet. That's amazing That like, that, like, this is part of someone's story that probably 90% of people don't even know about.
0: Now, you also do a lot of work supporting charities or causes w- w- with the pop-up events uh, through fundraising, but also, you know, you'll have like the, like a, a shot uh, for each one that, that will be related to, to a charity. Why why is it important for you to integrate those things with the pop-ups and what are some of the examples of, of things that you've done in the past?
1: Yeah, so uh, again, the way we started was like a bootleg operation. So the idea was, all right, let me at least raise some money and give back to people that way. One, I don't get busted, and two, people were in need throughout this whole time, and even now that we're at a better time, pandemic-wise, like it's people are still in need, and I realized man, there really isn't a, a reason why businesses that have somewhat of steady income, or like at least people like myself that have a platform uh, through Tiki's, why couldn't they use this platform at least to give even a ten percent back? Like it doesn't even hurt you; like you won't even, even notice it. So the biggest thing with a lot of these. Uh, pop-ups, they'll, they'll always be like a running theme of what is it that we're going to donate to. One of our favorite charities that we've donated out here that started around the pandemic was Know Us Without You, which does a lot of help for like back-of-house workers. Um, we've gone as extreme to piss off some people and also to help other people to donate to the Satanic Temple. Uh, for We did a pop-up on Easter Sunday, and all the proceeds are going to Satanic Temple as they were fighting uh, abortion rights and uh, women reproduction rights um it's got so they
0: were fighting uh, against abortion exactly exactly and... yes,
1: yeah yeah, yeah uh we've gone to donate to, towards border angels when there was a lot of uh people just you know a lot of the Minutemen. there was like a big uprise of people being scared of people just crossing the border illegally like all right how do we donate to the people that are gonna cross regardless let's give them some water like there's always a way to give back and i feel and i feel like the easiest way that I've found with most businesses to do it is literally just do a charity shot as opposed to going up like, Hey, we're going to donate 10% of sales. A lot of people are like, Oh no, that seems like a lot. Like, all right, let me go to your back cage or wherever you have your back bar of like, here's that dusty bottle of, you know, whatever it is. It's are They're not moving. Give me, would you, are you willing to donate that? We're all get now that I'm getting more reps involved, like they'll donate one or two bottles of stuff and we'll literally just build a shot off of it. And everyone feels good. Like, all right, I get a drink, a drink. I I don't get any money of it. The business gets no money out of it. It's literally something that costs them nothing, costs me nothing and donate all the proceeds back. And it's been amazing as of, uh, this year, I think we've raised a little bit over $2,500 just for all small, uh, grassroots charities. Like it's, it's pretty fun knowing that this is something that, that, We've done, and even though some people would say, Look, if you're only donating $50 to that charity, that probably doesn't make a difference, doesn't make a difference to your pocket, but you'd never know what that grassroots charity could do with that $50. Like, and we've seen that with smaller grassroots charities that have done a lot with the little. So, I think it's really important to kind of ingrain that we could be helpful to the community, not just have fun. You know, why not have fun and be
0: helpful now? This uh, issue of the magazine is going to be coming out in January, and and this episode is going to be coming out in in early 2023. As you look at the year ahead, what do you do? You anticipate anything uh, doing with Chuntiki's anything we should have on our radar uh, for the months to come?
1: Yeah. So something that I've had in mind for a while that I'm still trying to find both the perfect venue and the perfect time setting is a street vendor festival, since we just had a big street uh, street vendor uh, clause just passed a couple weeks ago here in uh, Los Angeles, where all California to decriminalize and essentially make the bidding process for a lot of street vendors uh, to be legal to be selling stuff on the streets. The idea is to celebrate literally those people trying to make a living off corners instead of begging for money. They're probably selling fruit. They're probably selling tamales. They're probably selling agua fresca. You don't know. Uh, the idea is to do a street vendor festival where I could find a venue where, I'll, instead of getting like very famous or like you know well-known IG famous food pop-ups, I would rather just go get these street vendors that have no IG representation. Let's round up a couple of these people together, um, and all the cocktails served will be all inspired by different street vendor drinks. Um, I want to get like a couple of car clubs involved to kind of get some of the like the Chicano community because it always seems whenever you hear the news about a street vendor getting mugged or like they getting you know beat up it always seems like you finally get like what a lot of people would be like, oh don't hang out with those gangsters or bet for the neighborhood you always seem them actually protecting the street vendors in the end so like all right how do I at least involve this crowd and give them their recognition you know they're there for the community essentially. Uh, yeah that's one one of the things I've been working on a big like street vendor cocktail festival. And honestly, like one of my biggest things that I've been wanting to do, and it seems like it might come to fruition starting February and hopefully in the months to be, is uh, do a little tour of Chuntiquis uh, south of the border. So uh, I want to start doing a lot of pop ups like in TJ and Sonada, start working my way through different parts of Mexico um, just because I think it's interesting that their cocktail culture over there is really blowing up for people that don't know. It's amazing, but they're trying to emulate New York and LA cocktail culture. And I'm over here trying to emulate their culture using their flavors back. So it's like full, it's almost full circle. So the idea is like, all right, how do I take this back to them? So they could see like, Hey, this is what I think of cocktail culture. you guys should, uh, you guys should dig this? Um, that's, that'll be one of the th- biggest things that I'm hopefully, uh, will come into fruition uh, next year. Um, as a, as more as I guess more people find out about it, it's been pretty fun that I've been getting more invitations to go check out different bars. So if I could do a whole tour of at least the West Coast of California, I mean, just of the United States, that would be super cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate of uh, being selected last year for do that talk at, at Tails. Um, I got an invite to hopefully go back next year and do a pop-up. So hopefully if I do a pop-up, that I'll be part of another lecture out there i i honestly that's it's besides me i'm always super humbled when people exactly like you guys reach out like i have no idea what i'm doing but we're doing it you know
0: (laughs) that's excellent well i we love what you're doing and we're so happy to have you in the magazine and on the podcast and julio thank you so much for taking the time and for going over all of this with us of course
1: thank you thank you for having me it's an honor
0: You can find out more about Chuntikis on Instagram at Chuntikis. Just follow the link in this episode's notes to get you there. We're wrapping up our Imbibe 75 coverage for this year, but be sure to subscribe to Radio Imbibe on your favorite podcast app to keep up with all of our future episodes. We've got plenty more recipes and stories for you online at imbibemagazine.com. Visit us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook for your social media needs. And if you're not already a subscriber to the print and or digital issues of Imbibe, then here's a perfect time to change that. Just follow the link in this episode's notes, and we'll be happy to help you out. I'm Paul Clark. This is Radio Imbibe. Catch you next time.